0: Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone exploring all things wine with you Today, our first topic is recycling corks, and this was actually a re-cork company that posted this article. Kim, do you recycle corks? I that's a no. That's do. a no. no. I don't.
1: I collect them, <laughs> so I I've never really known what to do with them. So they're um, in a great big basket in my kitchen, and the basket just keeps growing and growing and growing. But people ask me for corks all the time. You know, whether they're doing projects or you know, around the holiday time, people like to put little things together like trivets and stuff using wine corks. So they always know they can come to me and grab some wine corks. So um, I've never really looked into how to recycle them. I know a few times if I've been to places like Whole Foods or other stores, they might have a big bin that collects their, uh, you know, collects wine corks and are asking people to bring them back in and recycle them there. But I thought it was uh, interesting to look at what are the different options for for some recycling minded people.
0: So one of the things I I see for a joke on the Internet is uh, it's something that says I drink wine to collect the corks, for projects, right? (laughs) Or for art projects.
1: I I drink wine for Pinterest.
0: Yes. So you were talking about retailers recycling. One of the things as a retailer I've been doing for years is we hooked up with this company, ReCork, and they have a saying, we want your cork. And we have bins in the store and in our tasting room. So everything, we have customers that bring them in by the bagfuls and we put them in and we put them in a big box and we ship them to this company. And they recycle them for things like eyeglass frames or sand or cork boards or flooring so this article talked about different types of cork and what is recyclable and what is not recyclable so Kim did you notice anything or anything stand out with cork types that uh,
1: um you know it's pretty I think it's pretty simple and pretty self-explanatory if it's a natural cork then you can recycle it in this way so when we talk about natural cork it comes from the bark of a cork tree which is pretty much grown in Spain and also in Portugal so you you'll feel a natural cork and it doesn't have to be just a single piece of cork. So there are different styles of cork in a wine bottle but that might be made in a slightly different way. So you can have one that is just a direct punch out from the bark of the tree and that's just called a natural cork and then you can also have a cork that's put together by crushing up pieces of other cork and then being put back together with, with a glue to kind of bind it all together and that is called an a glue Cork, and that's still considered a natural cork because it just uses pieces of other cork and just puts it all back together again. So, those both of those are recyclable. There's another type that's kind of a hybrid that has a core of, of a single cork and then has some of this reconstituted cork wrapped around it. That also can be recycled. And then, if it's a cork that comes out of a bottle of either sparkling wine or some higher end craft beers, will be bottled with a cork. Those have to be a single piece of cork because otherwise, They won't hold the bubbles in the way that they're supposed to. So all of those count as the type of cork that you can recycle in this way. What you need to be aware of are the ones that are made of plastic.
0: Yeah, the plastic or synthetic corks. The first three you mentioned, champagne in particular, you can recycle those champagne corks. Do not bring in the metal cages. A lot of people just leave the cage on. But the synthetic cork, which is 100% plastic, and I did research this with the local waste management recycling. You can recycle this at your curb, but you can't recycle it in the cork recycle Mm -hmm. center because it is plastic so you can put that with your plastics Um, and they also talked about crew cap uh, wines obviously you cannot recycle that with the cork center but one of the interesting things i always found when i first started this program we were sending out tons of cork and then people like you said they found out you have the corks and i had one person in our wine club uh, she collected a box of them and she made an actual wreath out of it for our wine room so crafts are very popular but they are technically being recycled into a craft so I feel that's it's perfectly fine but do some research on what they're actually doing with the recycled cork it's pretty amazing like the eyeglass frames thing is you know sunglass frames it is cool and they make shoes obviously Mm -hmm. soles of shoes and stuff like that so they are doing things with them and it is a great program you can go on the recork site and find out sites that do have recycle centers and just remember to, to save them keep them keep them Clean without metal, and they will be recycled. Anything else uh, you found from this?
1: Uh, the only other thing that I have just heard recently about something that people are doing with their corks is using them as sort of compost or or mulch because it is just a natural wood product and it breaks down. And uh, there was one woman who I was speaking to last weekend who was saying that she has so many corks, and what she does is she puts them around her hydrangeas, and they change the acidity and the pH of the soil, so it really makes the colors on on her hydrangea bushes uh, pop, you know, that really bright blue because it changes the acidity level of the soil. So I thought that was something really cool to think about.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting function. You always hear it as a, a craft project, but not as an not agricultural Not a gardening thing. project. So that's very interesting.
1: Welcome back to The Wonderful World of Wine with Mark and Kim. We want to talk to you a little bit right now about how to feel comfortable ordering wine off of a restaurant wine list. And this was an article that we found in Food and Wine magazine, and it gave some really useful tips on if you're not really familiar with a whole lot of the wines that are on a particular wine list, how to go about ordering something that isn't going to have the highest markup on the menu and that hopefully will taste really good with your food.
0: Yeah, and they... At the end of it, it was wine list like a pro. So, you know, I was reading this. I'm like, wow, because I always get intimidated. I'm in the business. You're in the business. And when I have a list in front of me, it's it can be overpowering, the list, when, when you're trying to pick something out. But the main thing, I guess they started with, they gave pointers of how you can kind of decipher the list. One of them was avoid your comfort zone. So you go into a restaurant. You don't really want to get the same wine you're drinking at home. You want to venture out of that comfort zone so So do, do you agree with that, Kim?
1: I do. But that being said, it's a little scary to choose something that you're unfamiliar with. And I think this is where a lot of wine lists kind of can get you. You know, every wine list is going to have a Pinot Grigio on it. Every wine list is going to have a Merlot on it. Everyone is going to have a big California Chardonnay on it. So if that's what you ordinarily drink, sometimes the restaurant is hoping that you'll just order that because that's what you're comfortable ordering. And then therefore they can mark it up a little bit more because they know they have to have have it on the wine list because it's just going to move because a lot of people are only going to order that because that's all the all that they know that's on the list. So while it is a little scary to order something that you are completely unfamiliar with, sometimes it can be a really great way to find something new and very
0: enjoyable. So let's talk about how we approach a list. Myself as a retailer, the first thing I look at I know cost. So now I'm opening up and say, wow, you know, usually it's two times or three times retail what they sell a bottle. So I look for things maybe I've never explored or tasted that I'm not familiar maybe with. So I I find that as my avoiding comfort zone. I'm getting something I don't really know anything about and I want to explore it. How do you first interpret the menu?
1: So I'll look for regions and maybe pick a region that I am familiar with, but a producer that I'm not familiar with. Or, you know, I know that I like... So it's out of your comfort zone. So it's out of my comfort zone because it's a wine that I've never had before. So let's say I like, you know, Ribera del Duero from Spain. And I know that those wines are made from Tempranillo grape. It's like, okay. So I might look on their wine list in their red section, and if they have either other wines from that region that I'm not familiar with or other wines made from that same grape but from a region that I don't know anything about, I might try one of those. So
0: I think we're on the same page as far as we, we're getting out of that comfort zone, and we're, we're trying to explore different things. Um, the one piece of advice I thought that was just great because I always use it when I talk about food and wine. Parents are going to a restaurant. They say think local. For instance, you're at an Italian restaurant. You're eating Italian food you probably want to explore an Italian wine mm-hmm. so do you give that advice for when you pair food or when you're at looking at the list
1: absolutely and especially if you're going to a restaurant that does specialize in a certain cuisine definitely go for something that is from the region that the cuisine is from so if, say you're going to I don't know a Lebanese restaurant and they have a whole mess of Lebanese wines on the menu that you have no idea about and then they have a California Pinot Noir don't buy the Pinot Noir. Get something that is from the local place that the food is from and and try it out with the food because those wines are meant to go with those foods. In a lot of places, the wine traditions have grown up hand in hand with the food traditions of the area and the food and the wine just naturally go very, very well together.
0: So you have a now you have a location or region that you're looking at because of the food type. Next, they say you look at price and vintage.
1: I don't necessarily always look at vintage on a restaurant wine list more often than not I find that maybe the wine list hasn't been updated enough and so there's a new vintage in stock that hasn't been reflected on the wine list I kind of feel like you know a restaurant is going to have just like a retail shop generally will will have it's going to have whatever is recently available or currently available in the market so you know I don't really pay too much attention
0: to the vintage and they're saying vintage because if say it's a 2012 and you knew it was a great year you'd want to go towards that vintage more than the 13 vintage, mm. but it's so hard to remember, you know, without yeah. going to a child. There's so
1: much to know about wine and, I mean, Mark and I do it every single day and still there's so much that we don't know. It's I feel like it's a little much to ask for people who are just going out and having a nice, you know, night at a restaurant to be having to worry about oh, is this a good vintage or not? It's like, okay, that's what the, the server if they know about the wines, that's what the sommelier is there for, that's what the beverage manager is there for. Don't worry about keeping that stuff in your mind.
0: And that was the next thing they recommend if there is a sommelier uh, take advantage of that asking them things of questions about the wine list or or listening to their recommendations they a lot of times it's it's very rare to find restaurants with sommeliers Mm -hmm. Uh, but a lot of the wait staff will be trained. And what's your opinion if it's not a sommelier, but a, a wait staff tells you, you know, I recommend that. Would you go with that?
1: Um, usually I'll take into consideration what they've said. I'll sometimes try to figure out if they actually know what they're talking about or not. And if it is you know, a server who obviously has an understanding of the, the list and an understanding of the menu and has some enthusiasm for it, then yeah, you know, I'm much more likely to, to take their recommendation because there are a lot lot of people on that side of the business who are as just as into it as we are and just as geeky about it and want to learn everything that's out there and they want to talk to you about the wine like that's where they feel like they're going to be able to make an impact on helping you have a really enjoyable time out so if you you know go out to a restaurant and there are knowledgeable staff there yeah take them up on their
0: knowledge and what you said about you listen to what they said and then you can kind of tell true or not i think as an average consumer can go into a restaurant and they do recommend something you just ask them why do you recommend that what else on the list would you recommend because yeah, that's smart at times they do programs where they're telling them hey push this wine this week mm-hmm. and they don't really know anything about it other than they're going to get credit for pushing that wine that week so always ask them more another question you know what else on the list is similar to that and if they can't give you that information then they really don't know the wine so it's they kind of like
1: you're testing test them
0: yeah we test them i mean you're paying for you know the wine so you want to enjoy and get your money's worth. I think that's a true way to, to find out. It, I didn't notice in this article, Kim, I, I don't know. Did they go also, the first thing I look for, okay, I'm having steak. I'm looking for something heavy. Did they recommend first thinking about what you're eating other than saying if you're, you know, the region? Not
1: really. So, it, this was more about making the decision about the wine and not necessarily about pairing
0: it with your meal. So, I mean, that's what we're there for. Right. right? And so, that's
1: that's usually my first thing too, is I'll try to figure out what we want to eat before I start to to figure out what we're gonna drink.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, you can, they'll come to the table and ask you what you wanna drink before you're even thinking or looking at the menu. So be careful, you know, you might wanna hold off and say you wanna look at the list, you wanna decide on the food before you order the wine because it might not pair well with what you eat. You change your mind a lot when you're ordering. So uh, think about that, you know, pairings when you're looking at the list. Thing else you, you saw from this?
1: Um, the last little bit of advice which I thought was good was don't choose the cheapest thing that's on the menu. Usually those wines will have a higher markup than something in a higher price point. So I tend to pick things kind of in a middle in a middle tier. And it depends on what your budget is, too. I mean, if you are out for a nice splurge and you can spend $70, $7,500 on a bottle of wine, um, there's going to be, I think, more options, especially in better restaurants that have nice wine lists, to choose things in that price point which are going to give you better value and better bang for your buck. But generally, if you are buying, say, $30 bottle of wine, that bottle most likely has a higher markup than something that's on the list for
0: $55. So don't be afraid to order from that wine list. You'll find some great values at times.
1: Welcome back to The Wonderful World of Wine with your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone. We've been talking an awful lot about California wines, wines from Sonoma, and we read a lot of articles that come out of a lot of the smaller publications from Sonoma. And there was one recently from a page called Sip on This, which is published by a Sonoma travel site. And it was about tasting room etiquette and how to handle yourself in a tasting room. This was a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek article, but I thought it was, I thought I had some good tips. How often do you get to taste? wines actually on location mark i know it's not something that i get to do very often but when i do it's a real treat
0: i think in general you can look at this not just a tasting room but just a tasting in general i mean when you walk into a store and they're handing out samples or you go to a a sit down tasting and like you said a lot of this stuff was kind of jokes you know don't don't kiss the guy don't get on the table but there were some serious things and one of them i feel is don't pour your own wine Mm -hmm. And, and that is the job of the tasting room or sometimes you go think things are pre-poured. You don't want to grab the bottle and start chugging your own pours. It's probably
1: Um, not even legal for you to be pouring your own wine. So hands off the wine bottle.
0: Yeah. Don't grab the wine bottle. The other thing was, and I'd like your take on this because I know you're an animal lover.
1: (laughs) Don't bring your dog. Don't
0: bring your your pet. And, And I see this. It's a huge trend right now where people are bringing their pets and tasting wine, and the geek, you don't want other things in the room that can throw off the flavors or the aromas of the wine. So what do you feel? I mean, is this a trend that is getting away from the geekiness or... What do you think on I, that?
1: I, you know, I, for me, that this sort of seems to be common courtesy in that you're not wanting to introduce something that's going to be a big distraction. And if you have a dog with you, then I think that that's a distraction. They also said don't bring your kids, and I know that there are plenty of people who like to introduce their children to the idea of wine trips and seeing the culture of wine being made, not necessarily the kids tasting the wine, but just to be exposed to the idea of it. But this did say no dogs and no kids, so I think it's more the distraction factor. Factor, not only for you as you're tasting, but for the other folks that are around you as well. But uh, yeah, I, I don't really want um, kind of wet dog smell if I'm trying to taste wine, because that's totally going to throw off my
0: impressions. I agree with that, but it's it's trending popular, so I always have a hard time figuring out why. Maybe
1: it's another one of those generational things. Yeah,
0: could be. The other interesting thing was, and, and I totally agree with this, is don't be negative mm-hmm. when you're tasting the wine. So let's say you're, you're in a tasting room or, or someone is in at the tasting that actually put that product in the bottle, and they're very proud of that wine. And then they give it to you to taste, and the first thing you say is, "Oh, I hate this, or this is horrible." Just taste it, and don't uh, if the the etiquette alone. Just you, these people put a lot into this, so you don't want to hurt their feelings yeah, or something. It's not your style. Just kind of walk away from it. Uh, and I've seen that a lot. And I've seen it the other way, where if you say something, where you try to be polite and say, "Oh, it's not my style," and then they might come back rude and say something like, "Oh, well, it's not made for you," or something like. That that. So you, <laughs> you can go both ways. So Pretty be careful funny. with that. They didn't really mention, ta- this is a tasting. Anytime you go into a, a room or, or a, an event, you're tasting. You're not there to... And what I see these big events, people just putting their hands out. Uh, you probably saw at the at the Wine Riot, people just put out their hand with their glass and they expect someone to pour it and they, they don't, they just want it in the glass. Right.
1: It's you're, This is not a drinking, it's a tasting. So you're not expected to get a full size pour. At the most, we'll be pouring you an ounce of wine which if you think about it if I give you an ounce of wine somebody else gives you an ounce of wine and somebody else gives you an ounce of wine you're going to get a lot of wine in your glass so be expecting to only get just enough for one mouthful so that you can get the impression of what that wine tastes like and you can get a little bit of the aromas but don't expect a full glass of wine and don't be a jerk about it if people give you a small pour
0: and don't be afraid to use the the buckets that are there to spit so you can still taste we talk about this all the time but a lot of times and I'm sure you see it too, Kim, you go to these events, there's a lot of people, it's intimidating to spit in front of someone or over somebody. So it can be difficult to, if you don't want to swallow it, it's difficult to kind of find that. And this article really didn't, I'm surprised because there was a lot of joking in it, but they didn't talk about spitting out the wine or tasting.
1: Or about how to really prepare yourself for if you are going into a tasting. And the couple of rules that I almost always tell people is make sure that you're well hydrated and make sure that you have eaten something with Protein is really good for absorbing the alcohol in your stomach and in your system, and you want to stay hydrated because that's going to help process the alcohol a little bit better, and it's going to keep you from getting dehydrated and getting a dehydration headache. So be well-fed and not just on bread. You you need something with fat, you need something with protein, and uh, and keep drinking the water.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. And also always think about if you are going to drink at these tastings, uh, there's Ubers, there's, if you go to wine country, you can get limo and bus services. So take advantage of that so you can really enjoy it and not have to worry about the driving aspect of of the tasting. Anything else, Kim, from Um,
1: it? The only other one that I I thought was really kind of hit home for me was don't be a snob about it. You know, people like to pretend that they know a whole lot more than they do sometimes. And, you know, even, I've fallen into this trap as well. You know, when I'm tasting with winemakers, you need to take a step back and realize this is what they do all the time. You know, this is their baby. So even if you do know a whole lot about wine they probably know more about this particular wine than you do. So be open-minded. Don't try to show off everything that you know about wine. But, you know, engage in a genuine conversation with the winemaker or the person who is pouring, and you'll probably learn something interesting.
0: And that's exactly what we're doing when we talk wine with you today. We're uh, just telling you what we know. We definitely don't know everything about wine, but we're always learning, and we hope to pass that on to you. Welcome back to the wonderful world of wine. We are Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. Our next topic is calories in wine from Vinpear. Do you say Vinpear Kim or Vine? I say vine Vinepear. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. I've never heard it's pronounced. So um, a very great site I always use for educational things. But this was talking about what are the sources for calories in wine. So what's your take on this, Kim?
1: I get this question a lot. You know, people, when they're trying to be health conscious, but they they still want to enjoy their wine, do ask me often, you know, how many calories are, are in that glass of wine. And there are some wines on the market these days that are touting themselves as lower calorie alternatives to your regular glass of Pinot Grigio. But I thought it was interesting to take a look at the different styles of wine and how many calories they actually do contain. And that calories really come from two places in wine. They come from the alcohol, and they come from the sugars So you need to take a look at How high is the alcohol level in that wine that you're drinking And is it dry or does it have some sweetness to it
0: So I, f- I find this funny Because sugar ferments into alcohol So you have high sugar Ferments into high alcohol Correct? Correct And then if you have You don't ferment it all the way to ha- high alcohol You have high sugar So either way You either have high sugar Or you have high alcohol Either way correct? you have calories Right so yeah So you can't win <laughs> either way With the way it's, way it's uh, stressed here. And you mentioned the low alcohol trend. This is one of the tricks I feel in the wine world. They're saying this is a low calorie wine but when you look at the label, it's 8% alcohol where it's usually 12 or 13%. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's low low calorie because it's less alcohol. So the, the issue with those I have is trying to find one that still tastes like the varietal should taste at, at that alcohol right. point.
1: Or that hasn't been stripped of its flavor or that hasn't been watered down. But you know, a wine that tastes like it's supposed to but still being able to make maybe a more healthy decision. What, what really bothers me is that lower alcohol white wine is being advertised as low alcohol, 90 calories per glass. Well, a dry glass of, say, Pinot Grigio that maybe has 11% alcohol is only going to have about 95 calories anyway. So you're only saving five calories for, and you're drinking something that maybe has less flavor, um, less complexity, a little bit less going on. So this article in its charts said that dry whites are going to be anywhere between 92 calories and 120 calories for a 5-ounce glass.
0: I think that's that's pretty reasonable. You know, the talking about the low-cal wines, again they're marketing it to people who are physically active or, or fitness people, but they also kind of play games on that ounce. It might say a 3-ounce glass versus a 5-ounce <laughs> traditional glass. Tricky. So yeah, there's, there's ways that they kind of, that they play things with the residual sugar, so the sweetness. They'll say there is no sweetness to it which isn't true because all wine has some level of sugar left in it. Um, so you have to be careful with that. But Kim, this is one thing for years I always research and read about it. There has to be a calculation, right, how to do it. And if you do like me in Google, you know, how can I calculate calories in wine, you see a million different versions. Mm-hmm. So I found two, and one of them calculated out to like the same wine with the same percentage. One of them calculated out to 90 calories. The other calculation came out to 112 calories. So big difference so i don't know who to go by the geek mathematician yeah. of what to use for a simple there has to be a simple formula And most of them say the ounces times the percentage is a calorie so i mean it, it has to be something simple
1: yeah i don't know i don't know that there is because there are so many different components that make up the wine what was the alcohol level sure but is it enough sugar that you can taste it and how has the wine had its residual sugar actually measured it's like you can't really i don't know I feel like we can't really tell without having a chemistry lab right here with us yeah so you know what i tell people is just kind of the rule of thumb numbers it's like okay so whites as long as they're not something that's desserty or super sweet are going to be anywhere from 90 to 120 calories reds from 105 to 125 calories so that's what you're looking at for so dry,
0: dry for lowest dry alcohol yeah. is the best way right and, and they the highest one was port wine at 230 right. calories so sweet which makes ones
1: sense that are higher in alcohol, High alcohol higher in sugar you're looking at upwards of 200 calories for a glass
0: yeah and i, I I personally, when I drink wine, I'm not. I'm not thinking about the calories. I'm not I don't either. know. I, you know, I, at times I may get concerned about sugar intake more than calories, but I guess it's all placed together. So, anything else from calories and wine? Yeah. No. Should you think it should be on a bottle?
1: Ooh, that's a tough question. Nutritional information on a bottle of wine. I mean,
0: that's that's what that nutritional opens, information would be. That right? opens
1: a whole Pandora's box of what other things should be listed under the ingredient list of uh, of a wine. We can go on and on for hours on that one. We actually have a whole class about that.
0: I did just on labels in general with that. I did have people who do certain diet plans that ask what's the points and stuff like that. Yeah, I get um, questions
1: from people who are diabetic about sh- can they be drinking wine? Should they be drinking wine? How much sugar is in a wine? So that, you know, I feel like that is a, a legitimate uh, medical question. And I am not the person really to ask about that. That is something to be addressed with one's doctor.
0: Yeah, that's tricky to figure out. Calories and wine, if you f- do feel Figure out a formula. Please let Kim and I know because that'll probably scare us totally now. Right? <laughs> but
1: we'd love to hear it. Thank you for joining us today for The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone, and we invite you to visit our Facebook page at the Wonderful World of Wine. Leave us some comments and questions, and we will talk to you all again soon.